The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by PrizePix. Go to prizepix.com slash SGPN and use code SGPN for a first deposit match up to $100. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Plus, the MMA Gambling Podcast just launched their YouTube channel. To celebrate, we're giving away an MMA Gambling Podcast hoodie. Head over to sportscampodcast.com slash MMA hoodie for all of the details. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently early Friday morning, November 3rd. I'm your host, always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode because it is time to preview the quarterfinal matches in Paris. So we're going to go through all four matches. In the last couple of rounds, we were kind of picking and choosing, jumping around, not covering all the tennis. But now that there's only four matches, we will be covering 100% of the schedule. So if you are looking for breakdowns on every match, you might have been annoyed at the previous rounds that I might have skipped the match you wanted me to talk about. Apologies there. But now we do have time to go through all the matches. So we're going to do so. Before we get into any of that, I do want to recap what happened in the last round, in the round of 16. As for the lock and dog picks, and ended up losing the lock in, I don't want to say heartbreaking fashion, but it was pretty rough. We had the over 23 and a half games in the Sissy Poss and match. The match went the way that I thought it would. The problem was the same guy won both sets. You saw Sissy Poss win the first set 7-6. We expected at least one tiebreaker based on how many we've seen in these head-to-head matches between Sissy Poss and Zverev. Unfortunately, Zverev lost the breaker and then got broken immediately to start the second set. Could not break back as he ended up losing 6-4 in the final set. So a bit of a, I don't want to say a heartbreaker there, because we did expect a very competitive match, and we got it. But unfortunately, the same guy won both sets. So it is what it is. Picked up a loss there. As for the dog, though, had no action. We took a calculated risk with Dimenauer on the money line at plus 220 against Sinner. We thought Sinner maybe would leave the tournament. Uh, we thought maybe he would withdraw because he was really not enjoying the schedule after playing a late-night match against McDonald and then expecting to recover and play immediately the day after. So we thought Sinner had a chance to quit the tournament, but we thought there was also a chance that maybe he would show up try to play and either get buried or maybe even retire mid-match. So that's why we took Dimenauer as a value play at 220, and Sinner ended up deciding to not show up. So Sinner ended up uh, leaving, and Dimenauer got a walkover into the quarterfinals. We got we got the bet voided, so we didn't lose anything for it, but it was definitely a great bet in itself. We got 220, fading a guy that was talking about quitting the event, and if he did show up, he definitely would have been below 100%. So I do love the play. Unfortunately, it got voided, but I will take that play each and every time. Either way, though, to go through some of the actual match recaps from the Thursday card, you had a pretty straightforward morning as you ended up seeing four of the first five matches end in straight sets. Dimitrov buried Bublik. I thought the scheduling spot wasn't great for Dimitrov, but he didn't care as he won 6-2, 6-2. Classic Bublik no-show, so Dimitrov did a good job there. Rublev beat the Zanchulp in straight sets, 6-3, 6-3. You had the competitive match between Kashanov and Safulin as Kashanov came back from a set down and won in three. Classic Kashanov Masters 1000 run, where he just randomly finds himself in the quarters or semis. Feels like it happens all the time. Uh, you had Sitsipas beating Zverev in straight sets. You had Hercatch beating Sarundalo in straight sets. You had the center walkover. You also had Rune beating Altmaier in straight sets. But there was one really good match that involved Djokovic and Greekspor 
as Djokovic did lose the first set in kind of a shocking manner. He was up 4-1, and it looked like he was going to cruise. Then he just casually lost the next five games as he lost the first set 6-4. He was on the ropes, potentially losing straight sets, fought off some break points, and eventually won in a tiebreak, and then eventually won in the third set by a score of 6-4. I personally jumped on the live money line at minus 115 at 5-4 in the second set when he was down a set of minus 115. I saw a lot of people in the SGPN Discord in the tennis channel jump in on Djokovic at around plus 120. So you can get it. You could have gotten a great price on Djokovic. It seemed like he wasn't exactly feeling that well early in the match, but he slowly regained his footing as he was able to outlast Greek Spore. And the crowd played a factor because Djokovic ended up going up a break early in the third set. Then he gave it back on a really ill-advised 117-mile-per-hour second serve, which was a fault, and he double-faulted away the break, and the crowd was cheering the double fault, and Djokovic took exception to it, and he immediately used that as fuel as he did not lose a point for the rest of the match. He went from 4-4 to 6-4 and did not lose a point. So Djokovic once again won, and he has a pretty, I don't want to say easy draw moving forward, but with Alcaraz and Medvedev losing, he's the clear favorite to win this entire thing, obviously, and hopefully he gets it done, at least for our futures, because we took him to win the entire thing. But it is a pretty fun setup there for the quarterfinals because Djokovic and Rune, of course, played in the final last year, which Rune won. Now they're matching up for the quarters. So you have a, you have a title rematch from last year in the quarters, which should be fun. Either way, though, not much more to add from the matches on Thursday. The one thing I will add, though, is a brief, I don't want to say rant, but at least a discussion about the scheduling for this tournament because you saw Sinner complaining about the overall time of recovery or lack thereof between matches and with the matches ending about 3 a.m. local time. It's rough, and that has been an issue in the U.S. Open. It's been an issue in the Australian Open, but there is a difference since those are Grand Slam events. At least you have a day off in between, so you do have a recovery day built in. So when Murray and Kokonakis are playing until 6 in the morning Eastern time in America, it's not that big of a deal because you end up having a day off in between to recover, so you can have a shot in the following round. But when you're playing a three-hour match and it ends at three in the morning and you're expected to play in the early afternoon, or you should say maybe uh, middle morning if you're on the East Coast, it's a lot. It's a lot of tennis in a little amount, in a small amount of time, and I don't blame Sinner for deciding it's not worth the health risk. I'm not going to bother, and he ended up quitting. Now, some people were against it, and you might think to yourself, well, toughen up. You might as well play. What do you got to lose? Sinner is going to be in Turin in the ATP Finals, so he actually does have a bigger tournament on the horizon, which he's going to try to win. But Sinner decided, you know what? I don't feel great physically, and as a result, I don't like the schedule either, so I don't feel comfortable playing and I'm going to leave. So that's his choice. Whether you agree with it or, or not, the point is the schedule for the tournament can be done better. And I do wonder how much of the schedule has to do with trying to maximize the amount of viewers you're going to get for it on TV. Because I don't know how big of a tennis market the actual, uh, I'd say United States is, but it does seem like a lot of the times correlate well with American fan bases, because you're having the latest match taking place at like 3, 4 o'clock, or maybe even later if the matches run long, and it might be ending at like 2 a.m. local, but it's ending at like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Eastern, which is pretty solid if you are if you are on the East Coast. So I do wonder how much of the viewership for this event is actually based in America, 
maybe based on the East Coast, but the point is I do wonder if this decision to start the matches relatively later was due to either A, a lack of proper attendance at the venue itself in the morning if you started at local time at 10 a.m., give or take, and you had it at 5 or 6 a.m. Eastern, then I do wonder if that was potentially going to be an issue because you don't have enough fans in attendance, or you really wanted a lot of Americans to watch it on the Tennis Channel, so you ended up trying to promote a good number of viewers on TV, and you figured people are going to show up for the matches anyway, so we might as well have it at this time, because once you buy tickets, you can't get a refund. So I do wonder what the thought process was there. They should change it. Even though I do love to watch the tennis matches as a member of the East Coast, it's not fair to the players. They really should be having the matches end, worst-case scenario, 10 p.m. local time. The fact that matches are ending at 2, 3 in the morning is kind of nuts. Now, hopefully it's not the case anymore because you're looking at, once again, less matches to be played since we are at the quarterfinal stage. But I do think there needs to be some fixing when it comes to the actual tournament layout. And I do think the main difference would be either add some days off or you add another court. Now, it's going to be expensive to add another court, but it just feels like, once again, if the issue is some matches run long and you want everybody on center court, eventually you're going to have to branch out a little bit and have more courts in service. So that's a couple of solutions, potentially. We'll see what happens. My guess is nothing will be done, and they're just going to move on. But I do think it's a bad look when a top four player in the world ends up leaving the event because your schedule sucks. So I feel like that's worth talking about. Sinner also, once again, did play in Vienna the weekend prior. So he played a lot of tennis leading into it. But I do think the schedule should be improved, and I wanted to at least bring that up. But anyway, time to get into the actual quarterfinal previews. Starting off with the first match taking place at around 9 a.m. Eastern time. You have Dimitrov taking on Herkatch. Dimitrov is around minus 150 on the money line. Herkatch is plus 130. Dimitrov minus one and a half games is minus 110. Herkatch plus one and a half games is minus 110. The over-under for games is 23 and a half. The over is minus 108. The under is minus 112. If you want to go for some game lines, you can get uh, Dimitrov as a, a team total at 13. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 115. And her catch for a team total over 12 and a half is minus 130. The under is even money. Now, for the set wagering, you can get over two and a half sets at around plus 120. And if you want to go for the alternative games, you can get Dimitrov minus half a game at minus 140, her catch plus half a game at plus 110. So to go through the head-to-head, you have seen Dimitrov own her catch in their careers. The matches have been close, but Dimitrov's been victorious every time. So they face off three times, and Dimitrov is 3-0. Face off earlier this year in Rotterdam, uh, Dimitrov won 7-6-7-6. They faced off in Monte Carlo last year on clay. Dimitrov won in three. Final set tie break, and they faced off in Indian Wells in 2021. Dimitrov won in three again. Final set tie break. So the final set has gone to a tie break in all three matches. So at first glance, I like the over. I think you're going to see a competitive match. Dimitrov has looked really good so far in this event, as he was able to beat Musetti and and Medvedev, and he actually had his easiest match yesterday against Bublik. But her catch has been in good form, too. Lost in the final in Basel. Then he had a war against Korda, and then he really just buried Batista Agut and Sarundolo. I see a good match. I see a competitive match. I see at least one tie break in this match. So for me, I am going to go with the over in this one. I think I have to link to Dimitrov. I think he's in better form, and I think that Dimitrov is better equipped to handle the courts here because there has been, I don't want to say a slow 
pace to the courts, but it does seem like there are a lot of long rallies being played, and I do wonder if the court speed might be neutralizing her catch's serve to some degree. It's still a great serve. We saw Batista good couldn't touch him, but I do wonder the longer the points go, obviously the bigger advantage Dimitrov has because he's more patient as a rallier, and I do think with a 3-0 head-to-head advantage, you will end up seeing a competitive match, but I do think Dimitrov gets it done, so I'll lean to Dimitrov, and I will lean to the over in this match. I don't see much value on the actual games, or, or I should say the sets, at plus 120. I think that that number is really not offering much value. I'd rather take the games at 23.5 at minus 108. Moving on to the next match, you have Kashanov taking on Sitsipas, and for this one, Sitsipas is a pretty decent favorite of about minus 175. Kashanov is plus 155, and if you want to look at the over-under, it is available at 23.5. Both sides minus 110. Sissipas minus two games is minus 105. Kashanov plus two is minus 115. And if you want to go for some set wagering, you can get the match to go three sets at plus 115. Now, we've seen this matchup several times. We've, in fact, we saw it in the Australian Open, and we saw it in the Miami Open so far this year. And you saw Sissipas owning in the head-to-head. Sissipas was actually up by a ton as he ended up winning the Australian Open in four sets in the head-to-head. Then Kashanov bounced back as he was able to beat Sitsipas in straight sets in Miami. Close match, 1-7-6-6-4. But Sitsipas has owned him in the head-to-head, and I think Sitsipas actually looked very good so far in this event. To recap his path, ended up beating Felix in the first round, who was off of a title, and then beats Zverev. Bad scheduling spot, I get it, but still, the point is Sitsipas has not dropped a set, where you ended up seeing Kashanov win in straight sets against Purcell, and Dajir, and he ended up winning in three against Safulin. So you can argue that there is a stamina advantage for Sitsipas here, because Kshanov did go to three sets. However, this match only took two hours and seven minutes, so it really wasn't a long three-setter, and as a result, it's really not that big of a deal that Kshanov played an extra set yesterday. But it's tough to go against Sitsipas when he's been that dominant in the head-to-head. Anytime you're 6-2 and two lifetime against a guy, you got to be tempted by it. So I do think Sitsipas probably gets it done. Can I see it being a longer match? Sure. Can I see a breaker in there? Sure. But I do think Sitsipas is in slightly better form. I'm going to go with Sitsipas to get the job done. I'm going to lean to the two games at minus 105, but I am going to go with the over in this one as well. I think you're going to see a probably a 7-6-6-3 type final or a 7-6-6-4 type final. But I'm going to lean to the over, maybe get three sets, but I am going to go... Actually, no, I don't know if I can like the over, though, because that leads to 23. I think it has a chance to go three, but in reality, I think I'd rather go with the Sitsipas spread at two, because he has had success returning Kashanov serve in the past. Moving on to the next match, we're going to look at the rematch of last year's final between Rune and Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic is minus 455 on the money line. Rune is plus 365 for the spread. Uh, Djokovic minus four and a half games is even money. Uh, Rune plus four and a half is minus 120. As for the games for the total, over-under is at 21 and a half, and the over is minus 117. Under is minus 103. If you want to go for the sets, you can get over two and a half sets at plus 160. And if you want to get Djokovic winning straight sets, you can get that at minus 140. Rune to win a set is plus 110. So I mentioned before Rune did win against Djokovic in the final last year, so he's not going to be intimidated. In fact, Rune's actually 2-1 lifetime against Djokovic. Ended up losing in the first meeting in the U.S. Open back in 2021. If you remember, Rune had some serious cramping issues, and he ended up getting killed in the final two sets. Faced off in this event last year, Rune won in three, and they faced off in Rome this year, 
and Rune one in three. So I think there's value on Rune in this spot. I think minus 455 is an insane price on Djokovic. I know that he's the best player of all time, but he was on the ropes against Greek Spore, and he might have found his footing a bit more towards the end. But the fact that Rune's had success against him and the fact that Rune is the defending champion, this line does feel abnormally high. I think that Rune's got a good chance to make this match interesting. Am I picking him to win? No. But getting four and a half games is very appealing at minus 120. And I do think the over is worth a look too. But the, you're looking at all three matches between them. And all three matches involved a splitting of the first two sets. I can see this going three. I think plus 160 is a good price, but I do think Rune has value. I see no value on Djokovic at all at this current price. So I am going to lean to Rune to keep this match interesting, but probably going to lose in a competitive battle. And moving on to the final matchup, you have Rublev taking on Dimitrov. You have Rublev at around uh, minus 236 on the money line. You have Dimonauer at plus 196. Rublev minus three and a half games is even money. You have Dimonauer plus three and a half games is minus 120. And if you want to go for the games, the over is at 22.5 minus 102. The under is at minus 118. Rublev to win in straight sets is plus 110. Dimonauer to win a set is minus 140. Surprisingly, maybe to some, uh, you're looking at the head-to-head, and Dimonauer's been good. In fact, he's 3-1 lifetime against Rublev. Now, a couple of those meetings happened several years ago. They faced off in D.C. in 2018, and they faced off in the next-gen finals in Milan in 2018. You saw Dimonauer win both of those in... One was three sets, the other was four. Uh, but this face-off in Monte Carlo in the uh, clay matchup last year, Rublev won in three, and the face-off this year in Rotterdam, and you ended up seeing Dimonauer win in straight sets. So Dimonauer's been good against Rublev. Rublev has been very good so far in this event, as he beat Nishioka in straight sets, and he beat Dezanchelp in straight sets. Dimonauer hasn't exactly had the easiest go of it, but it's a great scheduling spot because he went to three sets against Murray, once again trailed 5-2 in the final set, beat Lehovich in three, but didn't play yesterday because he ended up having a walkover with Sinner. So it is a good rest spot for Dimonauer, where I do think he can keep this match interesting. I'm picking Rublev to win, but I think there is value on the sets. If you want to go for over two and a half sets at plus 135 or Dimonauer to win a set, I can see him hanging around. We've seen Rublev struggle against Dimonauer in the past, and I do think that even though Rublev's the more talented player, Dimonauer has the game that can frustrate Rublev, especially if the forehand or backhand go haywire. So I am going to lean to the over in this match, but I do think Rublev probably gets it done if I had to guess in three sets. That's going to wrap it up for the actual match previews for the quarterfinals. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks, but before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Prize Picks. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. League created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can group together LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three pointers made and receptions. Plus, Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even. If one of your players gets injured, which is a very cool feature for football and basketball games, if you have a player in your entry who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com SGPN and use code SGPN for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com SGPN code SGPN. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
We're also brought to you by the MMA Gambling Podcast Contest. The MMA Gambling Podcast just launched their YouTube channel. And to celebrate, we're giving away an MMA Gambling Podcast hoodie to one lucky winner. So head over to sportsgampodcast.com slash MMA hoodie. Submit your entry today and make sure to subscribe to the MMA Gambling Podcast on YouTube. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger, betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished uh, previewing the quarterfinal matches in Paris. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock for the show, I think I actually am going to go with something that might seem a bit risky, but I really do like the value with it. I'm going to take Rune, plus the four and a half games against Djokovic. I think that at minus 120, it's a good price. Djokovic was not good at all yesterday, or at least he had moments where he was struggling. And he was, once again, a couple break points down from uh, Greek sports serving out the match in the second set. So Djokovic wasn't exactly in great form. He might have been battling an illness, but the point is Rune has been in good form. He ended up making the final in Basel, ended up winning the first two rounds here in straight sets. He's been good, but Djokovic had a war yesterday against Greek Spore, didn't exactly have his best stuff. Match was two hours and 38 minutes. I do think there's some value on Rune, who was not intimidated by Djokovic at all. In fact, he has a winning record against Djokovic, one of the only players ever to do that. So I do think Rune is pretty live to keep this match interesting. And I think four and a half games is just too many. I can see a 6-4-6-4 type win for Djokovic, maybe a tiebreaker in there. But Rune has given Djokovic problems in the past, and I do think as a result, this line is very disrespectful. So for me, I'm going to go with the value, which I think lies with Rune. Give me Rune plus four and a half games at minus 120 as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go with the first match we talked about between Dimitrov and her catch. I'm going to go with the over 25 and a half games at plus 105. Simply put, you're looking at the price differential between the three sets and the 25 and a half. And it's separated by about 10 or 15 cents, which is really not that bad because we just saw the match earlier this year and 7-6-7-6. And I think it's a pretty realistic outcome that Hercat just has a bunch of tie breaks. But when you're looking at the matchups between Dimitrov and Hercat, every match has gone over this number of 25 and a half. And it is very difficult for a match to land at 24 or 25 if it's going straight sets because you're going to need a 7-5 in there and either a 7-5 again or a 7-6. But I think you're looking at what should be at least one tie break. I think you're looking at, once again, what could go three sets. If it goes three sets with her catch involved, it's going over this number because he's not going to break enough and his serve is too good. So you're probably going to see if it goes three, maybe a couple of 6-4s or a couple tie breaks. But I think 25 and a half has some value on it. So I am going to go with the over 25 and a half games in this match as my as my dog at plus 105. So once again, the lock and lock for the show, the lock is going to be on Rune plus the four and a half games at minus 120. And my dog will be on Dimitrov and her catch over 25 and a half games at plus 105. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I'll back once again tomorrow to go through the semifinals in Paris. Until then, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts at the network, the NBA show. 
NFL show. You get the point. Until then, good luck, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.